0: Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Let's go ahead and read verse 1. We're going to focus on verses 2 through 4, but let's start in verse 1 here this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Father, we ask for help this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture. We pray that you would uh, take your word, that you would write it upon our hearts, that you would shape us and mold us. God, we pray that by faith we might embrace who Jesus is, what he has done, what he will do. Uh, God, we pray that we might keep our eyes upon him, that we might run with endurance the race that's set before us. Father, please work in us. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a little bit of review before we jump in here. Last month, the whole last month, we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we've been looking at Noah's faith and Abraham's faith and Moses' faith and Joshua's faith and Rahab's faith and uh, just just continually for about a month, a little over a month, actually five weeks probably. And then last week, we jumped into chapter 12, verse 1, where, where the tables are turned on us and instead of looking at everybody else's faith, all of a sudden, we are challenged to look at our faith, okay? So if you're a born-again believer here today, then uh, just as Moses had his race to Run and just as Joshua had his race to run, and Noah had his race to run, just as all of those great men of faith had their, their 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 race that they were tasked by God, their mission of God that they were tasked to run. So you've got one as well. Okay, so I don't know if you realize that, but that the the press is on you uh, now in chapter twelve that we have a race to run. We have an endurance race to run. So if you're a believer you're in that race, uh, the question is: Are you going to finish? Are you going to run well? Are are you are, are going to keep going? Are you going to quit? how are you going to run the race it's set before you and again it is an endurance race verse one points that out very clearly let us run with endurance the race that's before us it's not a sprint it's not how you do today it's not how you do tomorrow it's really how, how are you going to continue running in your life the rest the race it's set before you last week we uh, likened it to the 2650 mile pacific crest trail and we talked about how we've got to if we're going to make that trail we got to lay aside excess weight we can't be just cumbered down by all kinds of Of things in our life that just don't help us run. We've got to lay aside sin that trips us up. And and then today we've got really the biggest danger that we're warned about in the race that we're running, and that is weariness and faint heartedness. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Okay, that's the big thing this morning, is that in your running, that you not get weary and that you not get faint hearted. Now, please understand that. That is different than tired. Okay? Uh, you're going to be tired, and in fact, I think it's a really good thing for you to be tired. I I actually worry about Christians who are not tired, okay? Uh, I know it's almost like a sin in our, our culture that we almost think that we, you know, we shouldn't be tired. We should always be completely well-rested and, you know, have plenty of time for everything, right? You should be like sitting around in your house saying, well, I don't have anything for, for two hours. What shall I do? I guess I'll kick up my feet a little bit here. Maybe read a poem or two. You know? I mean, that's kind of the, you know, the, the image we have in our mind of how it ought to be, right? I mean, we ought to just have everything scheduled out, you know, never pressed, never, you know, never all kinds of needs, never people, I need to be here, I need to be there, I need to be ministering here, I got people, you know, we, we almost think in our minds that we shouldn't be tired. That's just not what I see in the scriptures. Man, when I look at guys like the Apostle Paul, the guy is literally Pouring out his life, okay, for the mission of God. He's got this incredible mission of God before him and this limited amount of time to do it, and he's like, go, let's go, let's press, okay? So I don't think there's anything wrong with being tired. I think there's a lot right with being tired. In fact, I think if, uh, you know, we used the illustration of the marathon last week, you know, if you finish the OKC marathon and you're not tired, you know, you cross the line 26 miles and you're like, man. Hey, who wants to do it again, you know? All right, either you're superhuman, you know, you're you're crazy maybe, that's another possibility possibly, uh, probably that didn't even work really. You're superhuman or you didn't run very hard, right? You started last week and you've been at, you know, five Starbucks in between and, and took, you know, several motel rooms, all right? Uh, so, so either you didn't run very hard or you're superhuman because you ought to be tired. So tired is not bad, okay? Weariness and faint hearted That's a different deal. That's bad, okay? Now, let let me try to explain the difference between those. Uh, The word weary means fatigued and weakened from continual battles, discouraged, exhausted. Fain-hearted is is a Greek word made up of two two Greek words. Uh, It's two Greek words. The one is for life or soul, your inner self, and the other is to give out, to give up. Okay, so it's like giving out in your life, all right? And, and, and so when you, when you put these words together, what, what, what the writer's telling us is the big danger is that you will lose your will, okay? That you'll lose your will to run. See, that's very different, okay? It, it, you can be tired and still have an incredibly strong will, okay, to, to finish this thing and to, and, and to honor Christ and to go for the reward, okay? But, but when you get weary and faint-hearted, the picture there is of somebody who just doesn't want to run anymore. You know, I thought it was kind of fitting that we had this sermon on Mother's Day, right? Because part of being a mother is almost weariness and faint-hearted are not words that are strangers to mothers. Okay, uh, especially tired. If you think of it in the sense of tired. Okay, but, but let, let me let me describe the difference between those. You know, I, I remember uh, lots of times. Uh, I don't want to over exaggerate. There probably weren't lots, but I have five kids, and so there were some. Okay, where you know the kids would not be sleeping and uh, be sick or whatever, be bad, and I would happen to be up in the middle of the night again. I don't want my wife to scold me, it wasn't a lot of times, but it was a couple, I remember this happening, and I remember being concerned about my wife, you know, I mean, just, she's tired, she's fatigued, you know, she's been up, she's exhausted, it's been night after night, but but, but I remember coming in several times, going downstairs, or, or coming into where she was, and she'd be rocking the baby, and I remember, you know, there were times where she just looked bad, you know, I mean, she looked, you know, black circles, and, you know, just hadn't slept, and uh just felt horrible, you know, sometimes she looked a little like death, okay? But 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 I remember, I remember several times just coming down and just feeling bad for her, and, and but then seeing her holding the baby, or nursing the baby, and, and just having her look at, look down at that baby with this with this deep and abiding joy, and this fierce hope. And and I tell you, each one of those times, I'm like, yeah, she's good. You know, I go back to bed. You know, uh, I'm like, she's all right. She's good. She's tired. But she's not faint-hearted. Does that make sense? Now, if I'd have gone downstairs and the baby been screaming, and she'd have had the baby just kind of on the couch, kind of looking at it, shaking her head, you know, and if she'd have turned to me and said, I just don't think it's worth it, man. Let's take it back, all right? That's when we're like, "Whoa, I'm going to stay up." You know, <laughs> this is not good, all right? That—that's faint-hearted, right? Do you, you see the difference between tired and faint-hearted? Okay, uh, the, the, it's good to be tired. It's not good to be faint-hearted. Okay. And, and so what, what the Bible is presenting to us here is, is an encouragement to Christians who have engaged in battle after battle after battle, relentless presses on their faith. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, I want to make sure that you don't get weary or faint hearted. Okay? I want to make sure that you don't lose your hope in the reward. Okay? we're going to talk a lot about that today. We've talked about it every day, but it's such a key part of Hebrews 11 and 12 is, is this thing that drives us as Christians that, that we're, we're, we're holding on to the reward. We're holding on to, to the good things coming to us in Christ. Okay? And, and the danger is, is that you will lose your will and, and that at some point you'll say, maybe it's not worth it. Does that make sense? Maybe it's not worth it. Another illustration. I, just, I want you to try to, I want to make sure you're here. Okay. Another illustration. Okay. So let's say you, you have this restaurant that man, the food is just out of this world. You're convinced it's the best food anywhere around. And man, you just, you love it. You know, every time you've gone there, it's just been a great success. You're really rewarded. You're really glad you get because you have, you have confidence in this restaurant. Okay. Now let's just say that you plan on going there on Mother's Day. It's a special occasion. You got your mom. You're going to take her to this restaurant, and and so you go there, but you, you turn around the corner, and and then the the street that the restaurant's on. I mean, it's just car to car traffic, you know. And you just you know you know it's really unusual for Woodward, but you're just you're just snaking along. You're like, man, okay, this is not good. I'm you know this I, I don't like this. I'm you know, but 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 again, your confidence in the restaurant is so firm, right? The food is so good that you're like, hey, it's worth it. It's worth it, right? So you you find a find a place place to park. It's a quarter mile away. You know, you got to walk to the restaurant and because it's Oklahoma, you guys seen the doors moving, right? You're walking like this in the wind. You got your mom, you know, you like, it's worth it, mom. It's worth it, right? I mean, you're still geared up. You still got faith, right? Because you're confident that it's worth it, right? But you get there and the lady that's taking you, she's kind of rude to you. She's like, well, it's going to be 45 minutes to an hour at least, you know? And you're like, hey, no, 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 this is worth it, right? And so, so you sit down in the outside the restaurant, and you your know, Oklahoma wind, you know, is beating your your mom to death for an hour, and you're like, it's okay, it's what. So finally, you get in, and you get in your table, and and you get set down. But you know they've had to kind of crowd people in, and, and so you're kind of all nudged up there in the corner, and and you got some family with five kids right beside. It's the Dirk's family, five kids right beside you, and they're you know the kids are ah, you know throwing fed ones, you know throwing silverware and food. and The mom's weary and fatigued. You know she's faint-hearted. You know on the table beside you, you know, and, and at some point, you know, would there ever be a point where you'd be like? Let's just go to McDonald's. You know, I mean, I'm out on this, right? You you lost hope in that it was worth it. Okay, does that, does that illustration make sense to you? This whole chapter 11 and 12, we've been talking about how faith drives us because faith is this confidence that God has something better. God has something awesome. He's got something glorious. He has a, a better land and a, be, a better hope and all those things in chapter 11. There, there's this glory that's coming to us. And what Paul or what, whoever wrote Hebrews, what the writer of Hebrews does not want to happen is for us to lose our hope. For us to say, you know what, it's just not worth it. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm not, I'm not going seek to seek Him in the Scriptures. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to give energy and effort to this because I don't think it's worth it. I'm going to give my energy to something else that I think is worth it. That's what he's combating here this morning. Okay. Now notice, the primary means of our n- not getting weary or faint-hearted is the example of Jesus, okay? Last week we looked at, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, okay? So last week it was, look at all these people in chapter 11. Look at Abraham, look at Noah, look at Moses, look at Joseph, uh, Joshua, Joseph, Rahab. They're all testifying, man, God is worth it. God won't let you down. You know, you can trust him. Okay, but today, the primary motivation of us not getting weary or faint-hearted is Jesus himself okay so notice notice verse 2 looking to Jesus looking to Jesus notice verse three consider him consider Jesus okay so so the big thing in chapter in verses two and three and four is the example of Jesus motivating us to to not be weary or faint-hearted. Now, the first thing I think we can understand from this is that when we look to Jesus, we're not looking at other things, okay? So I, I think that's important, all right? Uh, what you're looking at when you're running the race of your Christian life is incredibly important, okay? And, and obviously, if you're looking to Jesus, if you're considering Jesus, you're not looking at yourself. You heard me say it a hundred times, navel-gazing is one of the... One of the worst things you can do in your Christian life. Okay. It's, it's incredibly discouraging to have your, your eyes upon yourself. Now I'm not, I'm not much of a runner at all, but I do try. Uh, I do try because I, I, I'm just, I cannot give up cheeseburgers. And so I've got to do something else that, you know, and that's not even working really. But anyway, I, I do try on occasion and my biggest, my biggest Obstacle to running, honestly, is is I gotta I've gotta distract myself. Okay, if I think about me while I'm running. Okay, let me let me just kind of show you how it take. I start off, you know, go start off from my house, and here I go, and, and right away that my right knee has this little like click, this little uh, little pain, just this little tinge in it. You know, I'll I'll, I'll start focusing on that every time. You know? You know what I'm thinking? I'm like a block, and I'm like, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Dr. Kirkendall probably wouldn't want me to do this. This is probably bad on my knee, you know? And and, and then, you know, I'll start thinking about my lungs, you know? I, I have a little asthma, so I, man my lungs are burning. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Or I'm hot, or I'm cold, or I'm sweaty. I shouldn't have wore the sweatshirt. I needed the sweatshirt. You ever do stuff like that? I mean, I, I'm just, just, in my mind, I'm just thinking about me, and I just, it's hard for me to run. I, I mean, just because I just want to quit, because all these things are telling me to quit, okay? And, and And so what I found is, is that I've got to be distracted. I've got to have my my mind on something else. Whether that be prayer requests, like I'll start praying, start asking God for things, and if I can kind of get into that mode where I'm thinking about the glory of God and thinking about the goodness of God, you know, a lot of times that will help me to run. Or even actually, the best thing is if I have somebody to run with, which I didn't happen very often because there's not anybody that slow around that I know. But you know, if, if I could find somebody who ran my speed, uh, I, I, that would be the best thing because I, I would be talking to them. We'd have a conversation. I'd be thinking they'd be asking me, go, you know, that, that's one of the great things about bike riding is when you're riding together and you can actually just. Kind of visit and it distracts me from, from from thinking about myself. I'll tell you the worst thing is my shadow. That my shadow makes me want to quit running worse than anything else, you know? Because you know, sun will be coming out. Usually run in the early morning, sun's coming up, and I'll see my shadow, and I'll say, Who's that old man running? You know, because he's kind of stooped over and his legs are barely moving, you know, just, just little bits. I'm like, who's that old man running? Oh, that's me, you know. That's not what I look like. You know, I look like Jason Alexander when I run, you know, I look like Logan Poe. I mean, that's what I think in my mind I look like. But when I look at my shadow, it's like, man, who's that old man? And and I I just, it makes me want to be, it makes me weary and faint hearted. And and so, first of all, when it says, look to Jesus, consider Jesus, you got to stop looking at yourself. That just doesn't help. It doesn't help you run. It didn't help you run to 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 look at your 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 obstacles and to look at your failures and to look at your past and to look at the your difficulties and your disappointments and your pains and your struggles and your aches and 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 all that you have man that just does not help you run the Christian race. You have to relentlessly look to Jesus. Now, I really believe that looking to Jesus has a faith connotation to it. Okay, so when the Bible says "look to Jesus," I, I think there's it's not just saying "hey, think about Jesus." It is saying that, but I think it's also saying put your faith in Jesus. Do you remember the Old Testament story where Moses, uh, the children of Israel, rebel against God, and and so they're they're getting bit bitten by serpents? Remember that the serpents have attacked the camp and they're biting, you know, and all these people are bitten and and they're going to die. You remember what Moses, God tells Moses to put a, put a uh, bronze serpent on a pole and lift it up. And then he, then he says, all who will come and look will live, right? All he had to do was look. Okay? Now there, there's a connotation there of faith, isn't there? There's a connotation of the way that I'm gonna be saved, I've got to go do what God told me to do. I gotta to look to where God told me to look. And so I really believe when when when, when the Bible's saying here, looking unto Jesus, there, there's there, there's a connotation of faith there. There's a connotation of, of of trusting in Christ, looking to him in the sense of, of trusting him. Because notice, notice who he is, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Okay? The word there is author, pioneer, originator, trailblazer. Trailblazer is actually my favorite word for that. Um, You know, it's basically that Jesus is, he he, he, he wraps up all of our faith. Okay? He's the example of faith. Uh, Jesus had a rock-solid assurance of the hope of redemption and resurrection and exaltation that drove him to obey and follow the Father's will completely in his life. Have you ever thought about Jesus being the, the example of faith? You know, a lot of times we put Jesus in a category other than us, Right? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus did this, but he was Jesus, right? I'm not Jesus. You know, he was the son of God, you know? I'm the son of Rick, you know? You know, it's not the same, you know? Uh, But, listen, Jesus is 100% God, but he was also 100% what? Man! We believe that. We believe in the incarnation. We believe that God... The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, stepped out of the heavens and into human flesh, and he lived this life as our example, as our trailblazer, as our pioneer. In other words, he, he went through everything. Hebrews has told us that. We, we looked at that a few weeks ago. He went through everything that we have gone through, except without sin. All right, and so Jesus, when he lived on this earth, lived as a man of faith. You know, you know the greatest evidence of that is that Jesus was a man of prayer. I mean, how often, as you're reading through the Gospels, do you see Jesus pulling off by himself and praying? Now listen, if he's not living by faith, he doesn't need to pray, right? If he's just controlling this out of his divinity, he doesn't need to pray. But, but Jesus, in his humanity, kept in constant dependence upon the Father. That's why he, he was in constant prayer. John Calvin said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. I believe that. Whenever you see a person who continues in prayer constantly, that's a person who is continually depending upon God. They're trusting, they're exercising faith. Whenever you see a person that is prayerless, I, I think you're seeing a person that says, I can handle it myself. Isn't that what that says, folks, Lincoln? When we find ourselves not being people of prayer, what are we saying? What are we tangibly saying to God? Hey, I got this, right? I I, I don't really need you. You know, hey, we'll check in. I'll check in next week. But a, but a person who's in continual prayer is a person who is in continual dependence and trust upon the Father, okay? So Jesus is a great example of faith. He's the perfecter of faith, okay? He ran the perfect race. He lived the perfect life. He has the perfect uh, he has the perfect time, the perfect score, the perfect run. That's Jesus. But 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 even more than that, he blazed the trail and he empowers us now as the perfecter of our faith. I don't know if this is going to work for you, but it works for me. I'm kind of staying with my, my mountain theme okay, of last week, Pacific Crest Trail. Okay? This time we're going to Everest, though. Here, here's, here's kind of the way I think of it. Jesus is the perfect Sherpa. Okay? Now, you know what a Sherpa is, right? They're the Nepalese guys who, who, you know, were born and raised up at the high, high altitude, and their, their lungs have a greater capacity uh, to perform at high altitude and low oxygen than everybody else's. They're, you know, just their, their body chemistry is different because of, of, of where, where they've lived and how they're adapted. Okay, now the, the Sherpas, you know, you always hear about these guys that climb Everest, yeah, they're not the heroes, okay? The, 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 they're, they're the people that are standing on the Sherpas who have gone before them and have laid the lines. There's lines all the way to the top of Everest, okay? There's Sherpas that went and laid those lines, okay? Not only have they done that, but they've taken the oxygen in the camps to go ahead and, and place those up on, on, on the base camps, the three or four camps that are all the way up Everest, so that when the guys climb up there, they've got they've got a way to rest and, and to be recouped and revitalized and before they make their next in their next run, the Sherpas also climb with the guys, okay? You hire them, they climb with them. They carry your extra oxygen tanks so that when you get to the top, you make it. But why did you make it? You made it because you had a Sherpa, all right? That's why you made it. This is uh, from uh, one of the news sites. You you knew there was a big avalanche uh, um, back at the end of April, right? Fifteen, I think. Sixteen Sherpas were killed. Um, this, This is a quote. Sherpas open the route on the Nep- Nepalese side of Everest through the treacherous Kumba icefall. They fix the climbing lines all the way to the summit of Mount Everest. They transport the equipment to make camp. They climb the next, next to their clients while carrying their oxygen and food, and they rescue them when they're in danger. When I read that, I thought, that's what Jesus does for us. I mean, right? I mean, he blazed the trail. He laid the lines, right? We're just following his lines, you know? He, 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 he's provided the equipment and the rest and the power through the Holy Spirit. Okay, the whole way that we might believe. I mean, really, we believe because Jesus has enabled us to believe, right? We, 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 we get all, and then he climbs with us. He's always present. The Bible tells us that he's our, he's our constant intercessor. He rescues us. That's through prayer. I mean, I mean we, we live by faith because Jesus enables us to live by faith. Now, looking to Jesus provides not only just inspiration, Okay, I think that's probably where you might go with this passage is when I look to him, I'm inspired. That's, that's great. That's true. But, but it also provides real power. Faith is the thing that releases God's power into our life. Have you noticed that in the scriptures? Faith is the thing that triggers God's power into our lives. Okay, Do you, you remember uh, Jesus? The, they're on the, the, the Sea of Galilee. There's a great storm. Jesus comes walking on the water. Peter's like, Jesus, you know, is that you? He's yeah, it's me. And Peter's like, tell me to come to you. And Jesus like, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat. And you, you remember that story? What, what's the whole deal? As long as he's what? Looking at Jesus. As long as he's, his eyes are fixed on Jesus, what is he able to do? He's able to walk on water. Okay? So, so there's, there's grace and power that's released simply by him looking to Jesus. But you remember what happens when, when, when he takes his eyes off of Jesus and onto the storm and onto his circumstances, onto himself? What happens? He sinks, okay? And so I, I think what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is giving us more than just inspiration. He's giving us practical theology that as you look at Jesus, you, you're given power, all right? So, so you're running your race in the Christian life and you're hitting battle after battle, struggle after struggle, discouragement, despair, pain, difficulty, Right? The process of you looking to Jesus, all right, of you, you focusing on Jesus, trusting Jesus, looking to Him in faith, holding on to Him, releases God's power in your life, enabling you to keep running. Looking to Jesus is a transforming effect. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is one of my favorite verses. You've heard it from me many, many times. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, that, that verse tells us how we are changed and transformed as Christians. As we behold the glory of the Lord. All right, So, so the process goes like this. As I see the glory of Jesus. As I see his faithfulness. As I, as I look to him and see his, his, his work for me. His intercession for me. His, his sacrificial death for me. His glorious resurrection for me. As I look to him. As I, as I trust Him, as I put confidence in Him, I'm transformed, okay? So I look to Him, I see His glory, I'm transformed. I'm, I, I'm made different, I'm sanctified. All right, and so, so looking to Jesus is not only inspiration, it's also power, okay? Now, let's, what about His example? Let's look here, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right. Now this is some practical stuff here about how how did Jesus run his race? All right. How did he run so well? How, how how did he endure all that he endured? And then the simple answer to that is for the joy that was set before him. Okay. I mean, can you imagine a race where there is zero there is zero hope of any benefit? Okay. So imagine a race in your mind where After you run it, you're not any more healthier than you were. Okay, imagine a race that you run it and your cholesterol goes up and you gain five pounds, all right? Imagine a race where uh, after you run it, there's no glory. There's no winning. Nobody's there to see it. You finish out in some, you know, back alley where, where there's no no finish line, there's just a line on the concrete, but nobody's watching, nobody knows that you did it, No, there's there's no prize, there's no celebration, there's no other runners, you know, that you can kind of pat each other on the back, high five, we made it, okay, imagine a race where you take away all the joy set before you, now ask yourself, would you still run it, and the, the obvious answer is no, right, no way would you run that kind of race, okay. But the Christian life is not a race like that at all, okay? The, the, the foundation of chapter 11 and, and chapter 12, we've seen it over and over again, is that faith is rooted in this, this, this deep confidence that God will not let me down. Okay, let me walk you through that again. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Okay, what is faith? It's believing that God rewards those who seek him. You, you know how you can tell a person from faith, from a person who, who isn't a person of faith? The person of faith says this, man, I can trust God. He's going to make it worth it. It's going to be worth it. Whatever I, whatever I got to do to follow him, whatever I got to do to seek him, whatever I got to do to hold on to him, it will be worth it. The, the person who's not a person of faith says, hey, Jesus is a pretty good idea, but you know what? I'm not going to struggle. I'm not, I'm not going to go through any difficulty. I'm not going to put myself out there because I'm not convinced it will be worth it. That's the difference between a person of faith and a person who's not a person of faith. All right, so verse 6. It's grounded in believing that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, let's look how that's played out in other people's lives, okay? So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. How about in Abraham's life? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What's Abraham looking to the whole time he's wandering around the promised land? He's looking forward to this city, this celestial city. Look at verse 16. But as it is, they desire, the patriarchs, Abraham included, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What are they looking for? They're looking for this city that's coming for them. Okay, look at verse 26 in Moses. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. He's looking to the reward. Moses is doing what Moses is doing because he believes God's going to make it worth it. God's going. God's not going to let him down. Verse 35 we looked at this last week women received back their dead by resurrection some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life you see the common thread in all those faith is convinced god won't let me down there's something better for me i'm going to trust him i'm going to follow him and obey him why because he won't let me down there's something coming for me that's glorious and great in christ i i want what god has for me i want god and so in verse two, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. So what's what's happening with Jesus as Jesus is running his race? You know what he's doing? He's thinking about the joy set before him. What, what's he running into? He's running into the blessing. Right? So as he's on the cross, he's thinking about the glory of God that's coming. He's thinking about the redemption of your soul. Man, have you ever considered that Jesus is thinking about his bride, the church, as he's being scourged and whipped, and at any time, he can call the deal off. At any time, if he loses his will, he says, enough, that's it. It's over, it's done. Okay, but God, Jesus won't do that. Why? Because he's thinking of his church. He's thinking of the glory of God. He's thinking of, 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 of being exalted. Okay? Notice in verse 2 where he ends up. Okay? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He, he has that on his mind. And so when we look to Jesus, what, what are we looking to? We're looking to the joy that's set before us. Just a real practical note here. How do you set that before you? How, what's the process of that? What do you, what do, you do to keep, keep the joy before you. Does that make sense? So, so you're confident in God, right? You're confident God's not going to let me down. All of God's promises, all of God's truth, all of his goodness, all of his word, it's all going to come true. And, and, and so, so how do we keep that in front of us? It says of Jesus, it says, who for the joy that was set before him. How, how did Jesus do that? How did he set it before him? Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm asking? So how, how do you keep that on the windshield of your life? I'm not sure that I know exactly, you know, how how you ought to do that. But let me give you some ideas here, okay? Read about it. Memorize it. Sticky note it. Some people are sticky notes, right? Yeah, they've got it all over everything, you know? Hey, if that works for you, sticky note it. Journal it. Pray it. Talk about it. Sing it. Share it. Rejoice over it. Imagine it. Okay? I think all those are practical ways... Of, of setting the promises of God before me so that so that I'm looking at those. That's what I'm running toward is that God's going to do this. God has promised this. God has said this in His Word. God is, God is going to do this in me. And, and you begin to just put that before you. Memorize it. sticky note it. Journal it. Pray it. Talk about it. Sing about it. Share it. Rejoice over it. Imagine it. Okay, and the more you do that, what happens? The less weary you are. The less faint-hearted you are. The more you want to run. Are you still tired? Probably because it's good to be tired. But the more you want to run. So Jesus had this joy set before him. The joy of what the Father was doing. The joy of God's will. And so how'd that work itself out? He endured the cross. That's what verse 2 says. He endured the cross. There's no greater challenge. No greater obstacle. Nothing in all the universe that would make a runner want to quit. Become more weary and faint hearted than the cross. But Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame. Now now jump down to verse 4. I want to switch gears here. It says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Now, now, now what, what, what he's saying here is that think about what Jesus endured. Think about what he resisted. And none of us have resisted to the point that he resisted, right? What have you resisted in your battle against sin? What have you had to do? Well, you probably had to, you probably had to say no to some selfish desires, right? That's tough sometimes, isn't it? You know? Our flesh wants something, we desire it, but we're like, no, this doesn't fit with God's race. I got I to say no, I got to put it to death. That's hard, okay? Maybe you've resisted to the point of, of giving up something that was precious to you. Remember last week's sermon? Maybe you had something in your life and it wasn't sin, but man, it's just clogging up your life and you can't run well and see, you, you had to lay that aside and that was hard, right? Okay, all right, good. Maybe you've had to lay some some weight aside. Maybe in battling sin, maybe even you've met opposition from other people. Okay, maybe in your your living the Christian life, maybe you've been mocked or cursed or taken advantage of or isolated, you know, you you don't fit in the family like you used to fit and you kind of got to endure that. But listen, no matter what you've resisted in your battle against sin, you've not resisted to the point that Jesus resisted. That's his point there. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. okay. Now I'm looking around here. Nobody in this room has been martyred. Okay, I don't know all your stories. I don't know what you've been through for Jesus, but I know this: you have not been martyred. Okay, I know that because you're alive. All right, uh, you've you've not resisted to the point that you gave your life. Okay, as as Jesus did. Jesus pushed all the way to the end. Why? Because for him it was res, it was worth it. You know, ask yourself this question: What what sin is it that 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 I that I must resist? Above any other sin. And I think the answer to that in Hebrews is definitely the sin of unbelief. Let me show you why I think that. Because scattered all through Hebrews is this this push toward faith and this push against unbelief. Do you remember back in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 and 14? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Remember that? Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, Chapter 3, verse 19, so that we see that the Israelites of old, that's who it's talking about, they were unable to enter the promised land because of unbelief. Chapter 11, the whole thing is about faith. And and so let's just think in terms of of resisting the sin of unbelief, okay? So how how did Jesus do it? Well, Jesus is running His race. He's trusting His Father. He's trusting that God's going to reward Him, that He's going to be exalted, that the church is going to be born, that you're going to be redeemed. He's got all that before Him. But Jesus had to struggle against unbelief. Now, he did it perfectly. But, but he struggled against the deceitfulness of sin. Okay? Sin wanting to tempt him to be unbelieving. Remember his wilderness temptations? He's out in the wilderness, right? He's been hungry for 40 days. I would dare say Jesus beats us there, too. I don't, has, anybody, has anybody fasted 40 days? I, I cannot put myself. Has anybody fasted four days? Four hours, 40 minutes, you know. You got a snack in your purse right now, don't you, you know. Uh, we, we don't know a lot about that, probably. Okay, but Jesus is, he 40 days, he's not eating. And you remember the devil comes to him, he's like, man, God's not taking care of you. You got the power. Just turn these stones into bread, man. You got Panera right here around you, you know. Man, you can make it happen. There's nothing wrong with that. He's tempting Jesus to be unbelieving. Right? To not follow God's plan. God's got a plan. God's got him out in the wilderness. God's had him fasting for four days, 40 days. Why? He's got to trust God. Right? He, he won't step out of that. Same thing with the other two temptations, the throw yourself off the temple and the, the devil coming to him. Hey, I'll give you the whole world right now. I mean, those are all temptations for Jesus to, to yield to. Hey, I'm going to step out of God's plan because this is, this is easier. Jesus won't do that. Okay? So, so Jesus battled the deceitfulness of sin. He battled the, the slander of men. He battled his own disciples, disappointing him time and time again. He, he battled the rejection and betrayal and physical torture of the cross. All the while, he had a grip on his father, trusting God's will, that God's will was leading him to glory for the joy that was set before him. Guys, that's how we've got to run. That's exactly how we've got to run. Looking to Jesus, we're about out of time here. I'm going to skip to uh, the end here. I, I think it's helpful. This is last point. It's helpful to remember what we're not facing, or enduring, or struggling against our race. Let me read verses three and four again. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. N- Notice the way that's framed. Notice he's saying, hey, think about what you haven't endured. Do you see that, everybody? Are you still with me? Come on, I, I said we were shutting down, but don't don't lose. Come on. All right, see, he says, see what you haven't resisted. See what you haven't come up against. Now, now, the reason I think that's really important is because normally when things are difficult, it's the, way, it's the way it is in my life anyway. When things are difficult, when I'm facing struggles, you know what I want to do? I want to magnify my struggles to an unrealistic difficulty. And I fuel that by comparing them to other people. Isn't that what, do you do that? Anybody else? Just me? But when, whenever I'm facing hard times, what, what do I want to do? I, I, I wanna, it goes something like this. Man, my service for Jesus is harder than everybody else. You know what? No, they don't give as much time as as I give. When I'm constantly criticizing, Michelle's not, you know, and I I, I got I, I work harder than the rest of my family, you know, and I'm I'm treated poorly compared to how my friends are treated, and people don't know what I'm going through. They've got it all so easy, and I've suffered more than the rest of the people in my small group. Does it, does it go that way in your life? I mean, that's our sinful tendency. When we're experiencing hard times, struggles, difficulties, all right, our tendency is to, is to look at our things and say, man, nobody's experiencing what I'm experiencing. All right, that's the exact opposite of what we're told to do here in Hebrews. Okay, in Hebrews we're said, hey, in your struggle, see, and you've not resisted to this point. Okay, uh, well, and listen, I, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, but it's true. It doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. It may be true. Okay. Everybody in your small group may have the, the, the easiest pansy life in the world. I mean, they may all just come in floating on butterfly wings and, and everything just goes great for them all the time. And, you know, every week at your small group, you show up and they're like, I've got this great praise. I got a hundred thousand dollar gas well check, you know, and the next guy, I've got this great praise. My son just got his fourth doctorate you know he's up for the nobel priest prize and another person's here i got you know maybe that's true i doubt it i really doubt it but maybe it is i'm just gonna play with you all right so it is true you know every everybody else has it better than you true let's just say it's true that doesn't help you run does that make sense that doesn't help you run I, i mean our whole deal here is god has laid on me a mission Man, there's there's one great, compelling thing in my life, and that's that I finish this, that I run well, that I keep my eyes on the prize, that I don't get weary, that I don't get faint-hearted. And and honestly, guys, that doesn't help you run. You know what you're doing? All you're doing is putting a bunch of heavy stuff in your pack. Just like last week's illustration, you're just putting a bunch of heavy stuff in there saying, all right, I'm going to carry this now. I'm going to look around and feel sorry for myself about it. I wish I knew why some people's lives are harder than others. I really don't know that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, we just got to leave that to the Father. He's the one that set the course, right? I don't know. But this is what I know. When I compare myself to Jesus, I want to run. Man, it makes me want to pick up my pace. I'm like, dude. When I look at what he deserved and what I deserved, I'm getting a great deal here, okay? When, when I look, to what, look at what he went through for what I'm going through, man, God is blessed. makes me want to run, okay? When I look at the rest of you guys, depending on my vantage point, it makes me want to slow down, right? Isn't that, isn't that what, what thinking you got all this on you? Isn't that what that makes you want to do? You know, when you look at yourself and you're like, man, I'm carrying 100 pounds and this guy's only carrying 20 I'm justified in taking a nap, right? I mean, that, that's, what we, that's what we think. That doesn't help. So how, how, do we, how do we not get weary? How do we not get faint-hearted? We look to Jesus. We consider Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us to run well. God, I pray help us to finish. God, help us to, to run the race that's set before us. God, I pray that you would enable us to to battle well against the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, Lord, help us to have the the work of Christ and the person of Christ and the glory of Christ on our windshield all the time. God, help us to know that you will not let us down. God, you'll do everything you said you'd do. Father, you're faithful. Lord, you're worth it. God, you're worth it. Help us run in Jesus' name. Amen.